Today is Monday, August 1st, 2022. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. A group of orphans promise aid workers were captured and tortured by Russian forces. We have an update on their situation. We'll have that story and more on today's podcast. We bring you news from a Christian perspective. Uh, As always, if you agree with that mission, you can help us by subscribing to this podcast, leave a rating, share it with a friend, all that good stuff. Help us get through the crazy news of the day, the news of the cray, as we like to call it, together and joining me on this Monday to help get us through it, Trey Gones Phillips and Billy Hallowell from CBN's FaithWire.com. What's going on, guys? Happy Monday to you. Well, we're, we're starting a new week. Yes, sir. We're, we're marching towards Friday. Let's go. A new week. <laughs> Let's go. We're one step closer to Friday. Yep. No, it's a good week. I'm excited for the week. We're all up early. We got it going. So let's get on through some of these news. You guys are going to be looking at Justice Alito had some words for uh, about religious liberty, and atheists are not happy about it. That, that seems like a common theme sometimes. Atheists are not happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But remember, um, you remember those Islamic State propaganda videos, particularly the one with James Foley, just terrorizing stuff. And uh, well, the narrator in that and other prominent execution videos has been sentenced. So we will have those stories and more coming up. Also, the main thing today: Jane's Revenge. They have vowed to destroy crisis pregnancy centers. And one of those centers that was attacked is making a bold reopening today. We talked to the CEO of Compass Care, uh, Reverend Jim Harden, coming up on the main thing. But first thing today, let's go through the headlines here in 90 seconds. Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir said yesterday that 28 people have now died and dozens more are still unaccounted for um, following several days of thunderstorms and flooding and mudslides in Kentucky. And the National Weather Service warned that there's still a flood watch in effect for parts of Kentucky uh, throughout today. And they still have storms coming. So if you've seen the videos, it's very, very um, uh, sad stuff there with the, with the floodwaters coming through. Operation Blessing is working with churches and other organizations there to help with disaster relief. If you want to help with those efforts, you can go to OB.org. And California is battling their um, nature as, as well with the worst wildfire this year with more than 51,000 acres are burning and evacuations are continuing to mount this morning and there's weather on the way that's going to threaten to make matters worse as crews continue to battle the McKinney fire in northern California they're bracing for thunderstorms hot and windy conditions and that creates the potential for just it to continue growing so uh, continued prayers there and we have Um, A bit of a uh, praise here to offer up from a group of orphans promised aid workers and volunteers and refugees who were captured by Russian forces this week uh, in Ukraine, and they have been set free. The CBN family of ministries had been praying for their survival and release, and those prayers have been quickly answered in this case. Although the Russian troops, they did brutalize these hostages, leaving one hospitalized and another seriously injured. Orphans Promise director um, Natalia Komiak reports that, quote, God is good. Thank you for praying for the 10 volunteers. All are alive and have been released, even though they have been beaten severely and tortured. And one is currently in a hospital after a heart attack. She added that prayers are still needed for their recovery after being detained, but that it's a miracle they have been released. So those are some of the top headlines happening today. You can check out more 
at cbnnews.com. All right, so the ISIS propaganda videos, you may remember seeing those with James Foley, and there were several other similar ones out at the time. Well, he has been sentenced for his involvement in this case, and it's, it's, a, it's a, a significant case, Trey. So what's uh, what are the details here? Yeah, so a U.S. judge sentenced uh, the Canadian citizen, he's 39 years old, his name is Mohammed Khalifa, uh, to life in prison for aiding ISIS uh, and for narrating the propaganda videos that that were widespread, uh, you know, in the, you know, 2012, 2013, 14, 15, uh, those videos that kind of went around. But the most prominent uh, was the beheading of American journalist James Foley. So Foley was kidnapped by ISIS uh, on November 22nd, 2012. Uh, and after being missing for a couple of years, it was reported that he'd been killed uh, by the terrorist group on August 19th, 2014, uh, when a graphic video of his murder, which was narrated by Khalifa, as we now know, uh, was released online. Uh, so Judge T.S. Eliot sentenced Khalifa. He's, like I said, he's lived in Canada, but he was Saudi-born, and he had already was a convict there. Uh, he sentenced him uh, late last week, according to the Justice Department. Uh, so Khalifa worked with ISIS from 2013 until January 2019, uh, when the Syrian Democratic Forces captured him uh, during a firefight with the terrorist group. Uh, so he actually ended up confessing to other things. Uh, he executed two Syrian soldiers on behalf of ISIS. Uh, he served as lead translator uh, in ISIS's propaganda production uh, and, of course, was the English-speaking narrator on multiple videos, the most prominent, of course, uh, being the Foley video. Yeah, so why, why did it take so long for this to unfold? I mean, these videos obviously are uh, quite old and, and all these things. Is, did he just get... Has he been in custody for a while? I mean, what, what's uh, what's the situation there? Well, he was on the run for a long time, uh, you know, in hiding. Uh, so it wasn't actually until 2019 uh, that he was initially captured. Uh, then he finally was extradited to the United States uh, after a, a lengthy process. Uh, and he was originally just charged with uh, narrating the videos. And that was actually what he claimed until uh, December of last year. Uh, in October uh, of last year, he told a local newspaper uh, that he uh, had only been a low-level fighter, as if that was not a big <laughs> right, deal, right. and was just the voice of ISIS saying, I haven't done anything uh, other than narrate these, uh, these horrible executions. But then in October, uh, or then in December, rather, he finally admitted uh, he had a larger role, uh, and that's when the U.S. was able to tack on even more charges. Uh, so that's that's what took so long was capturing him, getting extradited to the United States, and then collecting all of the charges that should be levied against him, which ultimately ended up with his life in prison. Yeah, and it's good to see the justice. Like it, it still is going to happen on these events that took place. I, I'm sure that you know a lot of these terrorists think that they're you're know, going to get a, get away with it. And um, we're still pursuing justice on a lot of these cases. And um, it is interesting, guys, that that he, they think these people think, hey, well, I just I'm just a low level fighter. I all I did was narrate. Like, I mean, you can't you know, you can't go in and commit these horrible crimes and be like, well, I was just on the camera. You know, <laughs> you, you kind of all get lumped into it. Right. Yeah. I mean, that that's the thing with this. It's like, how could you ever possibly assume that it wasn't a big deal that you had any sort of involvement <laughs> in this sort of horrific um, type of content. Uh, but I, I do love that we're seeing justice still prevail, like you were saying, Dan, years yeah. years later. And I think we're going to see even more of that. And you, you see this with events like the Holocaust, too, right, where, where decades upon decades later, people are 
still being brought to justice. And that's an important thing. Yeah, indeed. And it's as we said, it is good to see that happen um, because it's some of the more horrific things we've seen in our lifetime. And so uh, good to see that justice being served there, you know, for Foley and and others who have lost loved ones because of these, you know, horrible ideologies that these terrorists uh, have and put forward. So, all right. So, so Justice Alito had some words about religious liberty and Billy, the atheists are not happy about it. Um, the atheists, I feel like, are your sp- special friends, Billy. You you have lots of interactions <laughs> with the atheists online. If, if people haven't seen him, go follow Billy because you're inevitably going to get one of those, and you can, yeah, you can you can get the popcorn out and watch it. But but Billy, what <laughs> happened? Uh, what did Justice Alito say, and why are the atheists uh, concerned about it? Yeah, let's start with what he said. He gave a speech, and there's been a lot of headlines about it. He criticized foreign leaders for criticizing the Supreme Court's abortion ruling, right? Um, But that wasn't the only thing in this particular speech he gave in Rome. This is with Notre Dame Law School, their Religious Liberty Initiative. Um, He basically spoke about religious liberty, which sort of flew under the radar because of the other comments he made about foreign leaders. Uh, But he talked about religious liberty being under attack around the globe and how dangerous it is that it's under attack, but he specifically then spoke about the United States and other Western nations where there is a turn away from religion. And he talked about how polls show this significant increase in the percentage of the population that rejects religion or that thinks religion is not important. And here's what he said. He said, quote, this has a very important impact on religious liberty because it's hard to convince people that religious liberty is worth defending if they don't think that religion is a good thing that deserves protection. Now, he also went on to talk about the growing hostility. So it's not just this apathy toward religion, but hostility toward it and hostility toward traditional beliefs that are contrary to the, quote, new moral code that is ascendant in some sectors. Now, these are things we've talked about a lot on this show, uh, but he said there's a challenge in America when it comes to religious liberty and not just America, but Europe and other places to convince these people who are not religious that religious liberty is worth special protection. And he said this is not going to be easy to do. Now, obviously, he's speaking about reality. This is the reality that we're seeing in America, but atheists reacted very fiercely. The Freedom From Religion Foundation, an atheist activist group, they called his comments disturbing. They said he seemed to single out non-believers as enemies of religious freedom. And so they had a lot more to say about it, but really, Their sticking point was that there was a difference in definition between what they see religious liberty as and what he sees religious liberty as. Um, And they even they even pointed out references he made to scripture. Um, He he referenced Matthew 10, 16, um, Jesus calling the disciples, and they called that highly disturbing the message that was embedded there. So lots to unpack there. But but really interesting to see this fierce reaction to what seemed like common sense comments about religious liberty. Yeah, they I mean, it's interesting to see their angle on it because, of course, a lot of freedom from religion, a lot of times they believe the Constitution is is some sort of protection against religion, it seems, in a lot of the ways they present their arguments on things. And look, you look no further than the words of the founders and John Adams, who said our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It's wholly inadequate to the government of any other. So... It, it does feel like religious freedom is being relitigated in a way. I mean, when you see it with with these, um, you know, laws, you know, regarding you know Christian bakers and and those sorts of issues that pop up, and people kind of arguing that hey, no, you don't have a right to do that. 
And so I think it's completely fair for Alito to weigh in on this. But uh, it, it does feel, guys, like it's a debate that's that's sort of being relitigated here, that it's that it's on the table. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of this, too, goes to just the, the root of, of our sin as human beings, right, which is pride, you know, the center of just about everything that, that we do wrong uh, is an arrogance. And I think that some of it is is we have a culture that's so inward facing, like everything is about me. I think that we can make that argument with the free speech issue, right? As people say, well, you know, only what I say should be protected. Well, then that's not free speech, right? Yeah. It's, you know, so I think some of it is is an unwillingness uh, to appreciate uh, the value of something that I don't believe in. Uh, I think in an individualistic society, uh, it's kind of the knee-jerk reaction to only care about the self. And then I think, obviously, that's you know further exacerbated by our sin nature. Um, so I, I think that's a great deal of it is, is people are not religious or uh, they have issues with religion or they've bought into the mainstream media's portrayal of religion. Uh, so to them, what would be the value in that? I don't believe in it, so I shouldn't, uh, I shouldn't allow other people to, to celebrate that. Or I don't agree with what they're saying, so they shouldn't be allowed to say it at all, uh, which, as we said, is, that's, just, that's not free speech at all. Uh, so I think that's that's a a big part of it. Yeah, and 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 it does feel too like that anytime um, something like, for example, Roe gets overturned, oh, it's all these Christians, and that seems to be a lot of the argumentation out there is that it's it's a, it's a religious movement that's that's pushing this, and um, and that may or may not be true whether it's Christians who are at the center of pushing that, but there's this assumption that. The other views are neutral, right? That these Christian views are these extreme views out there. And we need to find this neutral view out there. And we need to go back to that. And, you know, and then it's this negative sort of connotation that's placed on Christianity and the views put forth by Christianity. And that, well, these these views over here are just neutral and, you know, benign. Well, there is no neutral. We've talked about this on the podcast before. There is no actual neutral worldview out there if you're, if you're, you're either for God or you're against God, as from the Christian worldview would say. But there, you can't just have this innocent, neutral view over there. You're pushing forward something, and but it doesn't seem like they want to admit that. They just want to have the bad guy over here, the boogeyman, the, the, the Christian view. That's what it feels like in a lot of these cases now, and it feels more and more prevalent than it had been in the past. Well, especially when you're saying that certain viewpoints are no longer allowed to be present, right? I mean, this is why Alito's saying... Religion deserves special protection. But just to read you a line from the Freedom from Religion Foundation, they said, if Alito's definition of religious liberty actually means privileging religion and religionists, he's right that non-believers will challenge such interpretations. I just found that line so interesting in light of the fact that we're privileging all sorts of people and all sorts of viewpoints. And suddenly when it comes to religion, though, we can't offer any sort yeah. of privilege to religion. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Good stuff there, guys. Thank you for those stories. And that leads us into our main thing today. Jane's Revenge has vowed to destroy crisis pregnancy centers. And one of those attacked is making a bold reopening today while we talked to CEO of Compass Care um, Pregnancy Services, Reverend Jim Harden. Madison Seals has that conversation on today's main thing. 
Welcome into the main thing where we're discussing the reopening of Compass Care's pro-life medical office happening today, Monday, August 1st. You may remember back in June that Compass Care's office in Buffalo, New York was firebombed by a pro-abortion or rather anti-life group called Jane's Revenge. And unfortunately, this is becoming all too common. Surrounding Roe v. Wade being overturned and the Supreme Court decision Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health on June 24th, there have been at least 44 attacks on pro-life pregnancy centers nationwide. Here to discuss the first firebombed pro-life medical office to rebuild and reopen in just 52 days, Reverend Jim Harden, CEO of Compass Care Pregnancy Services. Jim, thanks for joining me today. It's an honor to be with you. Thanks for having me. For those who are unfamiliar with this group, Jane's Revenge, can you briefly explain who they are by describing what they did to your clinic, which I'd like to note happened before Roe was even overturned? That's right. Yeah. So with the leak of the Dobbs case, uh, this organization known as Jane's Revenge became a pro-abortion domestic terrorist group. And they have they claim to have cell groups all, all over the, the country in all 50 states, and they firebombed pro-life organization in Madison, Wisconsin, and then they gave everyone, all, all pregnancy centers, 30 days to shut down or suffer the consequences. Of course, nobody shut down, but 30 days later, we were firebombed in Buffalo. We had seen, excuse me, different kinds of activity happening that was similar to what Jane's Revenge was encouraging people to do uh, around our Buffalo office. And uh, that was two weeks uh, before we were firebombed. So we notified FBI and local police. So we were on, we were already on heightened alert and we had shored up some security measures, et cetera. And uh, then on June 7th at 2.30 in the morning, I got a call from Buffalo's regional executive there, and he said, we've got smoke alarms going off. And I said, well, let me know when you get there. So he, when he arrived, the police and fire uh, had already been there, and they had found all the windows broken and Molotov cocktails uh, thrown into the facility and lit it on fire. And on the side of the, the facility was kind of the signature Jane's Revenge graffiti scrawl, and it read, Jane was here. A couple of days later, Jane's Revenge took responsibility for that firebombing and increase their threats and they're saying next time uh and if you don't shut down uh, it's not going to be so easily cleaned up as fire and graffiti and they, they, they declared quote open season on pregnancy centers so six days after that new york governor hokel uh comes out and she signs a bill not investigating the arsonists but to investigate the victims us and in the press conference she called us neanderthals this this is like something out of a surreal kind of dystopian novel uh, mm-hmm. But it is it is true to life facts. The investigation is ongoing. No one's been arrested. Uh, to our knowledge, no no law enforcement uh, at the federal, state or local levels have said anything about these uh, these attacks. Gosh, I'm so sorry you and others have had to go through that. But like you said, Jane's revenge and groups like it are not ashamed of it. No. This group that firebombed your office literally signed their name on your building. And they're still out there, as you said, attacking clinics with no repercussions so far. What are some of the ways that your clinic prepared for potential future attacks? Well, we, um, we, we have, we've had to increase our security um, you know, exponentially. It's, it wasn't something in the budget, but it, it's, it's important. We had to start thinking differently about how we you know, approach the building and leave the building. And we had to secure our perimeters and do all sorts of things, uh, you know, many of which I'm not going to divulge because we don't want people getting around it. Um, right. So, yeah, it, it's, it's been you know, significant, but we continue to serve patients. They want us to shut down. They attacked us because of what we believe. We believe that every person is made in the image of God and deserving of blessing and protection from the womb to the tomb without partiality, both the mother and the child. And so what what they're interested in and why they're attacking us is because we simply don't provide a referral for abortion. That's it and that's all. But we do everything else, 
there's no shortage of abortion in New York. New York is the abortion capital of the U.S. and wants to maintain that title. You know, overturning Roe versus Wade with the Dobbs case did not end abortion. It simply concentrates it into abortion hub states like California, New York, etc. So we're, we're going to keep serving women no matter what. We continue to serve women even that day of the firebombing on June 7th. And we relocated the very next day due to the generosity of the people of Buffalo. So we're reopening, though, that, that bomb, firebomb facility uh, 52 days later after, the, after a firebombing. Wow, that's awesome. How, it's sad to think how far we've fallen as a country to think that clinics caring for mothers and babies would be threatened. And the irony, as you pointed out, is that these acts of violence against pro-life clinics are actually harming women and preventing them from being able to obtain help with their unplanned pregnancies. Yes. Not all women want abortions, and that's what this side is claiming, basically. Oh, so what would yes. you say to those who think pro-life clinics do not value or serve women? I would say that pro-life Medical clinics and pregnancy centers are the only ones that do um, mm -hmm. help and value women. Abortion clinics only do one thing, and it's abortion. And mm -hmm. they do it at a cost. Abortion represents abandonment. Abortion uh, is, is, is isolating to women. Abortion represents a fundamental misunderstanding about what it means to be human under God. What pregnancy centers do is, is, is we, we come alongside women in their moment of crisis, and we give her a vision of her future after having had a child. When a woman faces an unplanned pregnancy, she says, I'm stuck, I'm trapped, I've got no other choice, I need to have an abortion. That doesn't sound like empowerment or choice to me. It sounds like entrapment and coercion. And, and, and pregnancy centers are the ones that come alongside of her and give her the ethical medical care and the comprehensive community support that she needs in order to be able to say no to abortion, in order to have a vision of her future after having had a child. That takes a lot of work, it takes the community, and we do it all for free. And uh, when women, you know, just look at look at the um, look at the the Google um, reviews of abortionists be, uh, versus, say, the Google reviews of a pregnancy center. Uh, Compass Care's Google reviews are we have five stars. We do exit surveys with every woman, um, and most women that we serve come in saying they want to get an abortion. Why do they give us five stars if they're being um, duped? If they don't know what 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 they're getting into? If they're not helped? They're treated with dignity. They're treated with respect for the first time, often ever. They 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 experience the love of God. It is, it's, uh, it is the work of the church, and, it, and of course, the abortionists now can't compete with that. They're, they're, they're facing an existential threat to their business model after this Dobbs case. Thousands of abortion appointments were canceled on June 24th because it would be similar to what would happen if the Ford Motor Company was told by the government, you can't have dealerships in 30 states anymore tomorrow. Well, what, what are they, what's, so what's the abortion industry doing? Well, they're having trouble coping with uh, you know, pivoting to a new business model. This hub and spoke business model that they've got to use now to, to get women to travel to places like New York to get an abortion or send them these dangerous chemical abortion drugs to them in the mail without medical supervision. And they're 400% more dangerous than surgical abortions. Yet they're being touted as safer than Tylenol. This is a, this is a fraud that's being perpetrated on women. They're the ones that are, that are misleading them. The abortion industry uh, needs to be held uh, to account. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the biggest testimonies to the way that your clinic values women is, as I mentioned earlier, Compass Care was the first firebombed pro-life medical clinic to rebuild. And by reopening, you're basically saying to Jane's Revenge and anyone who wants to shut down pro-life clinics that women and unborn children are more important than our safety. They're That's too right. important to give up this battle due to threats of violence. That's right. What was, can you talk a little bit about your mindset leading up to this reopening and how would you encourage other clinics facing the same threat? I would say, we we're we're told by by god to fear him only and not to fear man and so god loves to show himself strong on the part of those who have faith in him and those who walk in his footsteps we are called as you just described it 
to 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 love God and sacrifice for our fellow man, the, the weak and the vulnerable of society, and and the Lord loves that because we we're empowered by Him to understand what true justice is, true goodness is, true righteousness, and we're we're empowered by the, the Holy Spirit to walk in His footsteps. So, um, but there is no no one weaker or more more vulnerable in society than a woman who thinks that abortion is her only option. For, there's no one more weaker or vulnerable in society than a child whose mother thinks that she has to choose between her life and her baby's life. I mean, it doesn't have to be that way. And pregnancy centers represent hope. And we can't close. We won't shut down. And we will, will not live our life, make decisions based on uh, bully, bully tactics and, and cowards who break glass at night uh, and set fires like, like Kristallnacht in Nazi Germany. And this act of violence on your clinic just goes to show that the war against abortion isn't over now that Roe is overturned. And in many ways, it's just beginning. Yes. What do you think is the most important message that we can get across in this post-Roe era? The abortion battle lines are shifting. And so what that means for us as pro-life people is that we need to have a commensurate refocus of resources in the, these new Kind of abortion hubs and battlegrounds the biggest battleground right now is going to be online the reason i say that is because there's one new teleabortion business starting every single week in america 50 percent of all abortions right now are chemical abortions and it's rapidly increasing uh, they're trying to get chemical abortions uh, to deregulated and into the hands of women in their homes and it is terrible and they're not telling women uh the side effects of these of these dangerous drugs, so we 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 need to give the 21st century telehealth tools into the hands of all all the medical pregnancy centers across the country, so that they can reach and serve these women before they travel, and before they get these dangerous abortion drugs sent to them in the mail. And if they do start the, the chemical abortion process, we need to we need to be able to circle back around with those those patients and follow up and give them the the option to reverse the effects of that first dose through uh, progesterone therapy. Well, what an amazing testimony to you doing the Lord's will and continuing to follow in his footsteps during this process. So uh, Reverend Jim Harden, thanks for all you do for women and their babies. And God bless your reopening. Thanks for sharing. Thank you very much. All right, Madison, thank you so much for that interview there. And that leaves us with time with one last thing today, guys. And I want to look at Proverbs 1821 was reading that this week. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. And I think oftentimes there's this misnomer out there, guys, that words don't matter. Ah, sticks and stones may break my bones, and names will never hurt me. And yes, we should have a thick skin. That is true. But words actually do matter, and they do contain a lot of power. Yeah, they do. And, you know, if we're not careful and we're not thinking, we can do really not just immediate damage, but lasting damage to relationships and people. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at the beginning of Scripture, what does it say that God spoke and earth came into existence and were created in his image? Uh, so I think what we speak has a huge impact on people's lives. So we ought to be deliberate in our speech and we ought to be thoughtful, slow to speak as scripture says, uh, and then engage thoughtfully with people. Absolutely. All right, guys, that is all the time we have for this podcast episode. We've got it. We did it. We made it through Monday. So congratulations. The quick start challenge, as always, listen to this podcast. We get you through the week faster. Just it's science. Don't question it. Don't question it. That's what all the kids do now. They just say it's science and then they don't question it. So we'll apply that here. That's our story. We're sticking to it. But, but Lord willing, that creek don't rise. We'll be back here tomorrow with more news from a Christian perspective. God bless. We'll see you back here then.